Okay, cool. Ah, oh, my mum's come online. No, don't. <laughs> don't don't call. Don't call. Oh, no, this is the problem of doing it on Skype. <laughs> Alright, she might call at some point. Hello and welcome to the Split Screen Podcast, episode 8, or maybe 7, we're not quite sure. My name's Craig Wilson, coming to you from London Town, and wh- oh, where is he? One second, I've got to run down. Okay, take, take a roundabout to Kingston, then the A3 to Foxham Park, we go southwest on the M25, hop up through Slough, we're then going to take the M40 to Birmingham, might want to stop here for a break, this introduction's got to be a bit long. Then we've got the west coast of Britain, up the M6, another 100 miles to the A74, on the A72, for bigger, into Edinburgh. Look for the bored Irishman who's wondering if this introduction's ever going to end. Look! He's over there. It's Alan Williamson. You shouldn't be able to see me. I'm on the third floor. Um, but if you do meet me and you've come all the way from London, that was a bit silly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I miss you. Thanks. I miss you too. It's a bit. It's a bit weird doing this in a room on my own. It's not the same. Uh, you know, doing it in, in different different parts of the world. I like being able to wave my hands at you and and gesture to things and, and, you know, flap my arms aimlessly if you're saying something you shouldn't be saying or, whatever you know, embarrassing personal secrets. That's true. (laughs) It's easier to communicate when you're in the same room, isn't it? Yeah, well, that is actually, funnily enough, the topic of this podcast uh, because Craig's Craig's moved to London and we did try to do a podcast in the past. Famously, um, Craig's computer crashed after we recorded it and broke the podcast into a thousand pieces, like the plot of some kind of Rayman game. Um, so this podcast <laughs> is about the, the difficulty uh, people have when they're communicating online. Now, I'm sure everybody is familiar with Skype, which is what we're using, or you know, Google Chat or iChat or what have you, or even talking over the phone. But there there is a big difference between you know talking over the phone and talking in person. The big one for me used to be, you know, with uh, MSN Messenger? Yep. Um, I don't know if that was the, the cool thing for people in Scotland, but I used to, when I was like 15, 16, you'd have about five or six MSN windows open and you wouldn't get anything else done. Yeah, that was before Facebook. That's where everyone was. That's where all so. the cool kids hung out. But um, did you did you find that they had difficulty understanding sarcasm? Yeah. Um, that's, I guess, where everyone just started using lol and sort of little smiley faces and stuff. Winky faces to indicate I am flirting with you. Yo ho! No, yeah, I mean it was hard to tell if someone's tone and being sarcastic whether they were wondering whether the other person was going to take the lead on this part of the podcast or not. I think the difference between sixteen-year-old me and almost twenty-five-year-old me is that sixteen-year-old me is like, I wonder how I can make it more clear that I'm being sarcastic. Whereas twenty-four, twenty-four-year-old me would think maybe I should just stop being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to talk about communicating online versus in person, essentially. Um, I've had some very fun local multiplayer lately. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a friend's in Glasgow, where we played the whole way through Halo Reach on Legendary, and then we played a bit of Battlefield Bad Company 2, which I'm actually surprised I'm enjoying as much as I am. Um, and there's a massive difference between you know playing online versus playing in person. I mean, we do often play you know as part of a squad online, and Battlefield is, is very much about communication. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference is in Halo, you know, if you if you see a, an elite coming over the cliff, you don't need to say, oh, if you look to the box and you're right, there's an elite coming around. You just point and go, there he is, he's on my screen, he's just killed me. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a, it's a lot more fun. And obviously, you know, people can under- hear everything you're saying. There's no latency issues. So whenever you slag them off or make a sarcastic comment, they can pick it up right away. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to punch them on the side of the shoulder when they've just screwed up. That That's like, right. If yeah. you're playing. If you're playing Portal and you've just opened up one under the ceiling and under your teammate, it's always easier to figure out what just went on. That's what games are all about for me. You know, it's no fun unless you're winning, and um, I don't accept anything less than perfection. So yeah, that's just that's just the way it is. <laughs> if you're not gonna if you're not gonna man up and play Portal, you'll get a portal in your feet and you'll like it. You're going into the you're going into the briny deep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, no, I mean it, it is good fun playing in person. And I think it. I think it's more fun, you know, than obviously than playing online. But for for more reasons than just because you're in the same room as, as your friends, I think there is you. Know, there is a, a real breakdown in communication whenever you're playing online. Um, I know. Um, I mean, I've looked at sort of psychology studies during my degree where you had to like get somebody to navigate through a maze and the way you did it was you had to sort of describe what way to go like you'd like okay take a left and you know use of landmarks and things now those are really studies in language use and you know how people use descriptive language and how they elaborate whenever people get lost but I yeah. I guess to me I can draw parallels between that and you know just pointing at something in a game because the problem with something like Battlefield is 
if somebody can't see somebody coming, you can't just further your descriptions like he's the gentleman in the camouflage, he's currently aiming a rifle into your face, and he's slowly advancing towards you with a knife in his hand. You know, you're already dead. So <laughs> with games, you know, there's a there's a more immediate need to be accurate, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I guess in those in those multiplayer games, like when you say Battlefield, I think of um, Left for Dead, where you tend to just have such awareness of the map that people have. Uh, their own kind of colloquial terms will be, you know, in the funnel, like coming up to the farmhouse. Oh, or, yes, know, yes. The, the sort of, uh, yeah, he's at the barn or, you know, like, on Team Fortress 2 at 2 for you would be like, oh, he's at the ramp room. And it's a quicker way of getting across what you need to know. And I guess those games kind of help a little bit by having a lot of sound direction in the game where you can hear when a boomer's coming around. So you're not having to constantly elaborate and tell the whole story to like, hey, guys, I think I see something coming around that, you know, yeah. because by that time, zombies are on you. And, but Left 4 Dead uh, also does the thing where the, the, the characters have their own personalities and they talk to you. And that happens in Bad Company as well. It only happens in Battlefield kind of has two modes. There's a standard mode where you, you've got like a radar and you can actually see your ammo readout. And then there's hardcore mode where everything's stripped away and hardcore is probably more fun. But in the standard mode, your friends will say things like, you know, oh, we need a medic over here. We need more ammo. Uh, there's a sniper. There's a sniper. It's a similar thing in Left 4 Dead. You know, whenever there's a boomer, <laughs> you know, Bill shouts "boomer" rather than you going "boomer." So it's um, th- it's quite clever that it, it takes the place of you having to say all that. Yeah. And then you can then I can say things like "Craig, why didn't you kill that boomer? I'm dead now. I'm trapped in a cabinet." <laughs> uh, well, I. <laughs> but no, uh, Left 4 Dead 2 does that. The hardcore mode as well. They've got they call it realism mode, where they take off all the glowing outlines, and I'm pretty sure they strip down what the survivors say as well. So it does place more of the onus on you to actually communicate with your team more efficiently and to get you know a little bit more army about it, so that you're all yeah uh, you know performing your roles better. Um, I think I think but no, a, when you're saying that's okay. You can talk sorry, away. I was gonna. <laughs> When you were saying there was about the maze and navigating with your pointing, what brought to mind was if you ever saw the crystal maze, yeah, and you would have that exact thing where you'd have the people outside watching this monitor of someone inside going through a maze, and they would say they would always say like, "Go up, you know, move up, it's just up." And like, <laughs> obviously, for the person who's in the maze, up doesn't make any sense at all yeah, because they're like, going through, you know, a, 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 a puzzle on the floor. I think. It, do you think if they brought the crystal maze back and they had gamers and somebody said it's just up, they would just jump and go, "I haven't got it yet." I need to. <laughs> but, uh, oh, Crystal yeah, Maze was great. I used to love that TV show. In fact, I, I wish it would come back. I think I saw somebody on Facebook kind of thing saying, bring back the Crystal Maze. But as long as they bring it back with Richard O'Brien and his, his harmonica playing antics. <laughs> that, that, you know, that, that TV show was really like a video game when you think about it. Because there was there was this desert zone, there was medieval zone, there was. There's a future one, zone. space one. Yeah, it was pretty much crisis <laughs> it's pretty much a mario or a sonic game it's like <laughs> but um oh it was really good fun and i always wanted to be in the crystal maze but i was always kind of worried that if i did get on i would let the team down because i would just be you know physically inadequate but anyway how did we end up talking about the crystal maze that's not a computer well, game god damn it well if you f- if you felt bad when you let them down you'd feel even worse when you joined them because when you're in the room like if you if you say failed when you're playing rock band with someone, you're all right. You want you want another segue to your rock I don't, band? I don't, you need, I don't segue. need a segue. Here's I was just gonna. I was just. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna keep talking in an unrelated sense, like I normally do when we forget the segue. Um, I was gonna say that it's interesting that you talk. You talked about Left 4 Dead 2's realism mode. Um, and how it reduces the amount of things your teammates say because it's been an ongoing problem now to try and get communication between players. Um, and so mm-hmm. t- to even remove that in any sense, to me, is kind of a step back. Uh, I mean, one of the things we saw in Portal 2 was that it mimics split-screen play. So if you hold down the Y button, you can see what the other player is seeing. And that's great because it also, it, well, it firstly means that you can communicate with them and tell them where to look, but it also means there's less downtime for you because often in Portal, you're kind of standing around waiting for somebody to do something. Um, another game I've been playing locally is Rock Band 3 and the main reason you want to play it in the same room is because you, you know everybody can take it in turns to look like a tit and laugh at each other um, I mean <laughs> Rock Band there is the um, you know communication between when, when to launch your overdrive at the same time one of the cool things that Rock Band 3 introduces is they have these kind of goals for every song right so it was something like get a streak and then pass it on or the one that most reminded me of this is Continuous Overdrive 
So the idea is that if I'm on the drums, I'll activate mine. As I'm about to run out, then my friend takes over and he activates his, and then my other friend comes on and activates theirs, and so it continues. And the, you know, the the longer you can keep that going for, the more points you get. So just a nice way to to break break up the the rhythm action repetition. I didn't know there was actually that much stuff in there in terms of oh, playing man. together. Yeah. I just assumed that you would just all have a good time and get to the end of the song. Like I didn't realize there was that much like play between the instruments because that that makes sense because if you're actually in a band, that's the whole point. Is playing off what someone else does. So. Well, there's quite a lot, and there's quite a lot to rock band. There's there's things like if you save up your overdrive, you can save people who have dropped out. Um, rock band mm-hmm. three is like probably the most accessible rhythm action game I've ever seen. There's things like if you fail a song, you don't have to repeat it. You can just continue and just play for fun, and you can turn oh, it on to yeah, you can turn on the no fail mode at any time. My favorite feature: you can turn it on and off lefty flip at any time because I play the drums on lefty flip, but not the guitar which everybody seems to find really confusing, but that's the way it is. Right. Um, so the, the, it's, it's really made an effort to make it accessible and, and, and just plain fun. So that's why, that's why it's so good. The new problem is that I don't have the root, I don't have the funds to buy the keyboard and the pro drums and the pro guitar or even the Squire Stratocaster that also doubles as a rock band guitar. So there's quite a high financial cost to get into the game. I mean, I know we've talked about rock band before and how you don't like it because you want people to play the real guitar, but this is a good, this is a yeah. good stepping stone. I guess so. I was, I, was, I, was, I was thinking how people gave us crap before when we said that Rock Band was a hardcore game. But when you oh, describe yeah. like, all that equipment, that's a pretty hardcore investment when you think about it. Oh, absolutely. But then I, I don't want to have that discussion again. I think we've had enough, no. we've had enough batty comments on the website to think about for one evening. <laughs> um, but um, Left, 4, Left 4 Dead and so, Portal, they're not the first games to tackle this communication problem. And the one that springs to mind for me, because I spent a significant portion of my adult life playing it, was Fantasy Star Online uh, for the Dreamcast. Mm. Rest in peace. And that was like an MMO RPG type uh, thing? Well, technically, yes, but it's a, more like Diablo, really. Um, right. It's not. It doesn't have the same depth as something like World of Warcraft or... Uh, Final Fantasy. It is. It it's more like Diablo, is, and you can customize your weapons and stuff. Um, and it's all about teamwork, which I guess makes it a real MMO. But it's not quite as as hardcore as MMO would suggest in a name. Um, the thing that okay. Fantasy Star did was, um, you know, Dreamcast. They had different servers for Japan, the US, and Europe. And so the Dreamcast idea behind online was trying to get everybody to to kind of play together. I think in a in a fairly benevolent way. And so what it did was, instead of you being able to type chat, which you could do anyway, you could pick a set phrase like, hi there, nice to meet you, and you would put that up on the screen. Meanwhile, your friends in Japan, and they're Japanese, because you don't know that many expatriates who are in Japan, and um, they get the same message already translated for them into hiragana. Or if you were in, you know, Germany, it would translate it into German, which I thought was quite a clever idea. And they'd thought enough about, you know, pleasant phrases and items to swap and stuff like that and so it was a really cool idea the other thing it did um, was it did little graphics so you can make a picture and you can accompany a sound with it so I used to have like you know a happy noise for we just killed all the monsters or a sad help I'm about to die kind of noise um, and those kind of things I well I don't know if it's happened directly but they've certainly been picked up by other games so mm-hmm. the kind of sentence translation I'm pretty sure is in Final Fantasy 11 which came later Square Enix fanboys um, the the little pictures um, I, I guess the things that spring to mind for me are the little spray paint tags in Counter-Strike yeah yeah definitely and now, normally that's just Eric Cartman or something like that you know where a man urinating against a wall or something witty like that but it's still it's still the idea of, I'm sure they were there to convey information even though people have kind of used them to, to mark their turf and the other things are of course the, the player emblems in Halo and Call of Duty um Although I think with the Call of Duty one, there's a there's a real distinction between the communicative function, which is that, you know, saying if you're in a clan or something you like, versus, you know, a picture of two horses jousting with their penises. Um. Yeah, well, <laughs> in Call of Duty, they're more like tattoos. And like you say, most people uh, apparently want quite vivid animals. <laughs> Uh, interaction. I think I think the, the defining the defining line should be: Would you get that as an actual tattoo? Because my Halo Three one used to be a cobra, and I might well get that as a tattoo. I think my new one's like a, a unicorn, but I probably wouldn't get two horses jousting with their penises. Probably, probably not, or an ejaculating penis. There's there's another thing I probably wouldn't want as a tattoo. And my Call of Duty tag is the split screen logo, except there's a duck's head instead of the real circular circular uh, normal human head. What are you trying to say? 
I like ducks, Alan. Actually, I was at Kew Gardens last week, and there was a family of ducks, and I watched them for about 20 minutes. That's nice. With friends, so it wasn't just alone. That's, that's okay. <laughs> that's the next thing it's bring to mind is, I hope you're not terribly lonely. I try to keep, well, I try to keep in touch. Well, I said, well, I said, violin solo played. <laughs> As the world turned to monochrome, <laughs> and the last crumbs of bread came out of the bag, moistened by your tears. Another time I almost cried was when I tried to play Mario Kart Wii online, which had a similar idea. Excellent segue. Excellent segue. Which had a similar idea of using preset phrases, whereas these were more specific to which map do you want to play? Uh, Give me five minutes, I'll be back. And then I don't think they had one for, oh my god, why? What is this friend code nonsense? Why can't I just speak to you online? Just a picture of a wrist and some razor blades, um, or uh, a wee sign coming to say, "Need money for controllers, so can play with friends offline." Yeah, and it's, you know that's that's part of it. Um, that's all. That's all of it. I just covered the whole thing. It's not. A, it's just a substitute for your friends, mm. and um, I mean. To me, the, the the gold standard of online racing is Project Gotham 2 for the original Xbox, which had a great community. And it got to the point where there was so much to it, and, you know, everybody was really friendly, and they all wished you a good game and all, and, you know, they're all good fun. But there was actually quite a lot of emergent gameplay come out of it, like Cat and Mouse, where the idea was everybody was in, like, a, say, a Ferrari F50 and had to push a Mini over the line, you know. Mm-hmm. And you had a bit of a, just a big bounce around, but it was, you wouldn't get that with Mario Kart. You can barely get a decent race. Yeah, no, it is. Pretty, pretty poor online uh, implementation. It's pretty, pretty poor for the entire Wii, I think. And in fact, I can't really think of many games I've, I've played online with the Wii. Really, just, really, just Mario Kart. And I think with the, the Wii U, or Wii Two, whatever, it's going to be a very similar situation. Nintendo just aren't bothered about online play. Well, they're they're so worried about what content can get broadcast across their their channels and that they know that their own demographic probably skews to the very young and to other people who might not be familiar with the vile cesspit of hate that is online gaming. (laughs) Without getting onto a discussion about uh, what happened at E3, because really all I cared about was Skyrim, you know, um, I I don't see what the point of the Wii U is, because to me it's the opposite of what the Wii was. The Wii was all about bringing people together through computer games, whereas the Wii U is kind of, oh, you want to skulk off with your own miniature computer and do your own thing? That's fine, that's fine, I'll watch TV. You know, it's like, it's completely the opposite idea, isn't it? Uh, it's just a it's just a rebrand. It's just a refreshing all of their models so people can go out and buy it. You see what they do with DSs, you know, DSi, DS Large, DS Lite. I see, the, the DS Lite was good because the, the DS was a good console, but the original DS is so ugly. But, yeah, no, but it's the same thing, basically. I mean, all the games play on each of them. There's no difference. It's just a way of having something new in the store because shops won't be wanting to stock as many Wii units, whereas everyone, they'll, they'll stock Wii U because they know they can then do like another launch and another nah. midnight opening. It's just another way. It's like the iPad, too. You know, it's another way of bolstering their sales. Well, the iPad 2 is different because it's a yearly refresh and most of those phones and computers get, you know, six monthly to yearly refreshes, whereas consoles are in a much longer cycle. But the DS is a good example. I mean, my favourite's probably the DSi XL. It's like, um, well, I really want the DSi, but I was just thinking, can you make these screens a bit bigger? You know, so it doesn't really fit in my pocket anymore? Oh, brilliant. Cheers. Thanks. So strange. But wasn't the point of the DS Lite to make it smaller so that it would fit in your pocket? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. It's like they go one way and they sell it to people and we're like, yes, this is the revolution. And then they go the other way and it's like, oh my God, it's even better. I still love my DS Lite. I think it's a fantastic console. Really, really good. Really, really good build quality. Yeah. And just, well, I like mine because it's, it's the two-tone red and black one that I got in Japan. So it makes me feel kind of smug about myself whenever I see somebody with a, a plain black one. Like, <laughs> Mine's metallic red. How do you like that? And then I go home alone. <laughs> Feed the ducks. Yeah then, I, yeah, then I open up the DS light. Instead of a game, there's a slice of bread inside, and I walk down to Hollywood Park and feed the ducks in silence. So you you said you had a question for me. Oh, yeah. Earlier. Yeah, my, my question is, um, do you wear a headset whenever you're playing games anonymously? And what I mean is... Um, Right, whenever you're with your friends, presumably you do, because I've played online with you and we've been able to have a conversation. So I'm assuming the headset facilitated that. But say you want a quick game of, uh, I don't know, Halo or Call of Duty, just for random people, do you put a headset on? Uh, I do, actually, yeah. I don't tend to talk much. Um, It really depends on what kind of game I come into. So like the two games I've played most would be Team Fortress 2 and then 
Call of Duty and TF2 I play on my, my laptop more now mm-hmm. but I do put my headset on and then I judge I kind of it's like dipping your toe in the bath I see like <laughs> what the what the chat is and if the chat is bad if it's and that that can be either people being like, taking it too seriously because that's the worst it's the worst thing is when that you get the guy is, yeah. who takes it too seriously because if he's winning then he's god gift to gaming and if he's losing then it's everyone else's fault but I've gone in there and had games where people have been quite I would say, like, minimal with what they're saying. Like, as we said earlier, you know, and Team Fortress 2, like, heavy coming in the front, things like that. I'll, I'll chip in with those things, but I don't I don't try to talk to anyone. I don't try to have a conversation. But no, I do wear the headset, but normally with the microphone muted. And then, uh, like I say, as I figure out what the lay of the land is, I'll slowly turn down the volume on the speakers as well. That's, that's interesting. I never do, unless I'm playing with friends. Ah, all right. But then again, yeah. I I tend to exclusively play games with friends. I don't have a huge amount of in- like I, I'm not really interested in the competitive aspect, you know. So mm. for me, it's just a good way to hang out with your friends, I guess. So I'm never that bothered about it. Um, yeah. But I remember like I remember playing like Command and Conquer and, and Quake Three and things, and all you could do was type something into the chat. Now, as you can imagine, while you're typing, you're not playing the game, and therefore yeah. you're. <laughs> And I remember some very profane things being said at me because I was playing Tiberian Sun with the 56k modem. Clearly, somebody else was on broadband. So uh, yeah, they didn't they didn't appreciate my lag not one bit. Wouldn't you always get like the angry chat coming up between rounds when everyone's free then to uh, get on the keyboard and clack clack away like clack clack. I better I better get this sentence. I better get this joke out before the next round loads. That was that was what happened on the. I don't know if it's on Gears of War two, but I played more Gears one multiplayer and you would get that between rounds because during the rounds you could only talk and hear your own team for obvious strategy reasons but then you would get when the scoreboard was up at the end you would then get the torrent of hate if you like (laughs) but you had to be quick because it was like three or four seconds before it would load the next round so uh, yeah you know brevity was the uh, winner i'd like to defend i'd like to send this message to hitman zero one oh no i'm out of time oh no (laughs) i'd like to address a common complaint i've heard over the course of this game (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we've already talked about people trolling and flaming before. I think we covered it in our online identity episode, which may well have been episode four. Um, what was but, episode four? I mean, as you said, it's like it's like slagging off someone over the phone whenever you're on you know, speaking to customer services. It's just a lack of face-to-face communication that facilitates that. But yeah, um, people get more more cocky than if they were in the store demanding to see the manager. Yeah, oh, do they? Uh, Actually, I don't know. You're in no, store. not not really. No. Okay. I, My bad. I don't. I, do, I don't want to. Do, I don't want to discuss work things too much in the podcast because that wouldn't be nice, and I'm sure people know I work. But let's just say you get mean people of all strokes. Some of whom are not not confined to the phone. Some are just mean to your face. But I'm sure that goes without saying. That happens in any job. Um, I mean, on the bright side, the people that slag us off on our website, you know, use their full names now. So. Um, there was, of course, the the guy in the Duke Nukem post called. I was called you. You are homo or something like that. Um, yeah, but, uh, creatively, creatively spelled. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty clever. It took me it took me a long time to figure that out. Maybe you know one or two seconds. So, and and I guess in brain processing terms, that is quite a long time. But um, I, I see, I like it. I like that the 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 veil of anonymity has kind of faded. Um, I think I told you about TechCrunch when they introduced Facebook, and you had to post on the real identity. And I like that. I like the people yeah. on the website want to use the real names and don't have to you know obviously if you want to go under a pseudonym that's fine but I quite like that people are prepared to have a, a decent conversation it's good yeah I guess it depends on what your uh, you know what you've got to lose say so if you're someone who's prominent in the games industry and you want, you want to go on a forum and talk about a game or rant probably don't want to post under you know P. Moore and <laughs> yeah, like, some tirade against Whatever Sony's doing, yeah, like the like the comment in your Metacritic article from R. Pitchford saying uh, Metacritic's a load of rubbish and only the opinions of the gamers matter. And uh, anybody who re- uses Metascores to determine what games they purchase, specifically Duke Nukem Forever, is a moron. And then he calls me a flaming jack wagon. Flaming, flaming jack wagon. <laughs> <laughs> have you actually have you actually blocked out swearing on the site then? Uh, well, I've got a blacklist which has got all of the curse words I could really think of. And it doesn't block the comment, it just makes it go to approval. Like, it needs to be moderated first. Okay, okay. But I think, I can't remember, I think it should show up a warning. And I think that that's what forced the guy to get a little bit more uh, creative when he insulted me by calling me 
a flaming jack wagon. A flaming jack wagon. Which I loved. Like I, I like, if you disagree with me, but if you can be that creative, I'm okay with it. That's fine by me. I think it's fair enough because it's not even it's not even that offensive. I mean, you know, I've often commented on you looking like a wagon of Jack, so I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> well, we talked about people communicating online, and I guess we vaguely dipped into feedback from the computer. So you know, we're about a bit left for dead, and uh, yeah, you know, the, the computer giving you feedback where your friends feel not to, and that kind of thing also got us thinking about communication between the player and the computer, and then you know, conversely, between the computer and player. And hopefully, you know, Craig, you're going to shed more light on this than me, because I seem to have just been rambling away. Your, sh- your screen's frozen. Are you getting the you getting the, the glitchy graphic thing? My cool edit is uh, it's just got a spinny circle on it. Oh. I think we're gonna have to edit this section out. Okay, so we've talked about how you communicate player to player. We've talked about how companies like Valve um, are doing different ways of you know, filling in the communication gap where um, your friend might not necessarily want to talk. Um, and one of the other things we've kind of been looking into, because we do do a bit of research, you know, we, 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 like to, uh, <laughs> we don't like to go in blind, um, is looking at um, the communication between the player and the computer and vice versa. So instead of just... You know, you passively sending a command to the computer through the controller and interpreting it, and you the computer taking feedback from you, that sort of unconscious feedback, like you know, biofeedback, your heart rate, things like that, and then using that to augment the game experience. So it's like a kind of secondary control system. Um, but I believe Craig, you've done some research on ridiculous controllers that have emerged, or well, maybe not ridiculous, but at least obscure and strange ones that you know, have been around. Yeah, slightly more esoteric way. So we're all comfortable with the controller gamepad and strangely we're quite comfortable with the keyboard and mouse which is really odd if you you kind of stop and look at them and go this is how you're going to walk and look in a game and you go really i need this many buttons i don't know 50 52 buttons seems plenty to cover the vast majority of tasks i don't know why 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 would you need less (laughs) but uh some well some people have thought that you do need more, more ways of doing it so the first one that I found is the Novant Falcon. Now, you looked at the image of this, and I think your reaction was, holy hell, what is that? Right, well, here's what I'm going to do. I, I looked at it once, and I said to you that what I'd do is go into Google. And I'm going to lean forward so you can hear me typing in Novant Falcon. Let's hit search. And it looks like a gun stuck to a lamp. What the Novant Falcon is, is a haptic device. So what you do is you put your hand through... Uh, this device and there's like a ball that you hold onto and there's the buttons there but it's like a, the ball is kind of fixed onto a robotic arm which has motors in it and the whole point of this is that you can sense feedback and weight so if you're in a game like half-life and it's been optimized to work with the source engine so that it uh, works in all the half-life games and left for dead so if you're hitting the crowbar and say you you kind of push it forward to hit and you then come up against the piece of wood it'll then give you some force feedback. Ah, so it's kind okay. of like a more sophisticated way of doing the old rumble that you kind of get in controllers. Uh, but you can you can do weight, and it can simulate textures as well, apparently, so that if you're running your hand over a bumpy surface, it will gyrate, and it will, you know, model that kind of, you know, to, to some extent. So it's trying to get a way of actual touch to your hands. This looks um, bloody stupid, like, to be honest. It looks like one of GLaDOS's eyes offering you a golf ball as a present. The best one is the one with the, the, I don't know, some kind of pistol sticking out of the Falcon. Presumably, every time you get a new gun, you'll have to get a new attachment for it, which is a great way of making money <laughs> for the company. That one's a bit out there. Uh, also out there is the Emotive Band. Now, Emotive, uh, they work with EEGs, which, Alan, what does that mean? It means electroencephalogram brain signals essentially so it's this is trying to be a it looks like a hairband and you put it on your head and it's meant to detect the electric signals and impulses from your brain and be able to rework that into some sort of input for a game now my old flatmate actually bought this what uh, about Which two one? years ago yeah uh alistair, uh, I, I, alistair. I, don't I don't think you uh possibly is that my going away thing uh, you might have been, he was only there for a few a wee bit but anyway, oh, okay. he bought it and... I should have he... mocked him for buying one of these. 
And, uh, well, I tried to get a hold of it so we could review it for the student at the time, but uh, he'd given it away. And, uh... He was too busy snapping it into pieces, putting it into envelopes filled with anthrax and sending it back to the manufacturers. Well, with this brain band, it, you had to calibrate it to your own, you know, power of thinking, so that, you know, for all these things, it needs to be set specifically to your impulses and your brain waves. Uh, I'm not really sure where the potential for this in a game actually lies, um, especially considering, you know, your brain uses 10% of its potential and the other 90% of my brain's telling me that this thing's pretty much guaranteed to suck. I'd just like to, to point out the, the classic rebuttal to the we only use 10% of our brains, which is, well, if you'd like to remove the 90% you don't think you need, just, you know, fire away there. <laughs> Uh, I was I was really just going using that as the setup for the uh, joke there. But yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I, I wanted to I wanted to put a you know put a, put a fork in it because it's done. Because we can't say that. We're all about honesty here. Can't, yeah, we can't say that nonsense anymore. I don't know if you can hear. I'm just pouring myself another glass of whiskey. I don't even really like whiskey. It's just that I saw you drinking a glass and you know peer pressure and all that. So I'm a trendsetter. You are. People yeah. see me, they want to be me. <laughs> Feeding the ducks on my own. <laughs> drinking, 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 drinking your whiskey. There's me. My bread stays in the DS. Uh, I can only drink whiskey when I see other people drinking it. Yeah. Oh well. So yeah, this this epoch thing. What a what a what a silly bit of rubbish. Uh, one that isn't a bit of rubbish is the Track IR, which is a head tracking device. Which again is another similar. This one looks a little bit more like a golf visor. It looks a little bit more respectable. And then there's a camera that you put on the front of your screen. Um, which is a very small like webcam thing, so it's totally unintrusive. Yeah. But what this gives you is uh, full head tracking in a game, so it can detach where you're aiming with your gun to then where you're looking in the game. Okay. And I've seen this in use with uh, the sort of FPSs like Arma, oh, so right. that you can be running forward, say, but you can then look to your left and right, but keep running in that direction. Uh, similarly for like all the games where you're you're flying, um, it's really like a must-have, apparently, if you're doing flight sims. Because uh, you can look all around you while you're flying in a different direction. Mm. Yeah, but also so that you can look at the console in front of you. And it, it does, you know, so if you can look left and right a little bit, and obviously you'll need to look a minor amount for it to sweep through a full arc. But if you move closer and further away from your screen, it also registers that. So uh, the example I saw, it was in a, a, a plane cockpit, and the guy moved his head forward, and it then looked under the desk, the, the dashboard okay. to more buttons. So that was wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be good if you could fire in one direction in an FPS and look in another? It's like, imagine if you were you know, using suppressing fire in Battlefield or Call of Duty, and you could actually look around to see if there was other guys coming in. That'd be quite cool. Yeah, it would get you away from that horrible sense in most games where you're a walking turret, and you're spinning around with your arms in front of you. Absolutely. Um, but the, there was a really... Uh, it was a small video that it went kind of viral um, of a guy who strapped a Wiimote to his head, which was basically okay. trying to make this as like a, you know, he's made his own rudimentary version of it. But the, Wiimote, cool the, Wiimote, video, the Wiimote's tracking is based in infrared anyway. That's what, the, that's what the sensor bar is. It's a couple of um, LEDs. Yeah. Um, because uh, have you ever done the thing where, uh, you know, people got Wii's for Christmas? And uh, my brother got this Wii for Christmas. I was like, Mark, Mark pointed at the Christmas tree and it went nuts because <laughs> it was covered in LEDs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With this video, the guy, what he showed, which was quite interesting, was that if he kind of turned, if he's kind of, uh, if he leaned left and right, you actually saw that the depth perception in the screen adjusted to it. So it actually oh, had wow. more kind of realistic 3D than the the whole 3D you know glasses when you go to the movie because you know it was based on your position when you were looking and moving. Uh, that's really cool. So it's actually it's actually adjusting the, the parallax and things based on your head. Yeah, that's clever. That sound, yep. That, that's okay. That was I wasn't, cool I wasn't trying to nerd you out there or make it seem like I knew a lot. It was just me saying I concur with your statement. No, it's completely. There's right. um there's head tracking in Forza Four. So um it's uh, got how does it, that work? Um, it well it's through Connect because it was a game Microsoft talked about at E3. And uh, <laughs> and um, so uh, you basically just lean around, probably, or tilt your head about, and it lets you look at, like pan and look around the car while you're driving. And I mean, cool. previously you can do that sort of using the right thumbstick. 
so you, you can you can look around the car but it's always in crude 90 degree intervals and it's always just before you hit a wall but it means if you're say you're in an in-car view it means you can kind of glance to the left and look in your rear view mirror or you can kind of glance up and look at the you know the mirrors so i think that's it's probably a probably a better way of doing it than using the stick because at the end of the day if you break down the you know break down that that level of the, the player having to use the stick to track around it does bring you into the game more it's like you know about whenever you're playing a game you're in the zone and you're not thinking about what the controls do anymore you're just doing it it's like it's kind of getting to that stage where you're not even thinking about having to press a button to look at your mirror you just look at it and i think that's that that's really cool that's probably one of the the only interesting things i've seen connect capable of because at the moment it's really just you know just wave your hand instead of waving a, a controller crosshair about, which isn't very compelling, is it? No, especially not because it doesn't make sense for a lot of the games, except for you know the dancing stuff and, and things like that, and Dance Central, you know, Child of Eden. Oh, Child of other Eden looks that, pretty, looks pretty lovely. Other, yeah, but other than that, I can't see it working in to other games in an interesting way. I can't believe that I spent so much money on a camera this week, and then I found out like the day after that Child of Eden's out on Friday. I was just a crystallized no. tear rolled down the front of my face I was like no child of Eden I want to play you I want to get lost in your world apparently it's only like 90 minutes long okay but then we well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure at some point we'll have a discussion on how long a game needs to be to get your attention I think we talked about it in our, our portal podcast but if it's if it's 90 minutes as good as 90 minutes of res was I'll just I'll give you my 40 quid right now I don't care it's gonna be brilliant <laughs> uh, you see, like 90 minutes that's like a movie I have plenty of excellent movies for that length it depends, you know, it depends whether can you replay it, because you say a game of Left 4 Dead, um, which we keep harping on about, and we will harp on further in our final segment. Oh, oh but, yes. Uh, that, that kind of game can only last an hour, but you do it so many times, you know, you get hundreds of hours of play out of it. Well, one of the things about um, the, the Q Entertainment games, specifically Res, but also to a lesser extent, things like Luminous and I believe Child of Eden, is that they're, they're trying to elicit an emotional reaction from you. And the idea of Res was it would simulate uh, synesthesia. So mm-hmm. you, if you shot something, you'd hear a sound, but you'd also feel a vibration and, and, and see, is to try and make you see sounds, you know, and, and feel visuals and things like mm-hmm. that. And I guess that ties into where presumably about yeah. to talk about which is kind of modifying your feelings based on the experience but also modifying the experience based on your feelings well that's it you say you know Child of Eden tries to elicit uh, emotion from you but there's no way for Child of Eden really to take advantage of that fact or to recognise yeah. it so I remember like a year or so ago we were in a pub somewhere and the Wii Vitality sensor had just been announced um, which hasn't actually gone anywhere. Apparently, there's been issues with like predictability with it. You know, it's not very okay. accurate. But what it was, it was a little clip that went over your index finger, and it would then measure your heart rate. It does sound like something of... we'd laugh about in the pub, doesn't it? We did, but then we kind of went on to say, well, but you could kind of use that in an interesting way if you could then measure someone's response. So, you know, measuring their heart rate is like a really uh, easy way of trying to figure out whether someone's actually reacting to what's on the screen. Um, because we said before, there's a like in Dead Space, say, or a horror game. Well, I, I because I'm like easily scared. Um, those games are like I'm, you know, my heart's beating constantly when I'm playing it. So there's no like low point for me because I'm constantly on edge. Whereas yeah. for someone who's maybe got a little bit more manliness to them, or someone who's a little bit more confidence, shall someone we like me. <laughs> oh, Duke, be, you're in the podcast. Hi. You'll be able to find the point when Duke's heart is beating kind of low and then surprise him with something new. And I found a blog of a guy on a Gamma Sutra who did exactly this, but with Halo. He's a PhD student. He had access to the sort of heart monitoring uh, equipment. Classic waste of university funds, eh? Sorry, that's just my inner cynic because I was never good enough to do a PhD. It's not that I don't Uh, think you guys are doing good jobs. Just, you know... (laughs) It was like when I got a high-speed camera for my physics masters and spent the first like two days just flipping coins and, you know, making my friend shake his face and filming it in ten thousand frames a second. It was great. This is, I can't understand why universities have this funding crisis. I really can't. <laughs> but I showed you the the graphs that this guy's put up, and we'll put them on the blog as well so people can can find it. Um, but showing his heart when he was uh, the, sorry, showing his heart rate as he was playing through a multiplayer game of Halo. And you see, every time he initiates combat with someone, there's a very clear build-up and increase in his heart rate. And then when he dies, there's a kind of come-down as well. But then there were certain moments in the game, like when he puts in his armor lock, it actually sustains his heart rate. So, you know, it's a way of keeping the tension at a certain level. And, you, you know, you look at it and you go, well, there must be ways of harnessing 
these sig- these very clear responses and signals in you know in a way which is better than a button press which yeah. is the way you've done before well, I, so, I guess something good would be like I think you mentioned you know how you were always scared playing dead space and it would be something like you know if you're playing dead space and your heart rate's not elevated beyond the base level the game could go ha I see you are not suitably freaked out, and then you just have a monster randomly burst out of the wall, you know. Or yeah, what you or, could, or if you're playing a racing game, and you know you're not terribly excited, it could raise the tempo of the music, mm-hmm. or it could slightly increase the speed, or you know a horrible rubber banding AI that used to get in, like burnout yeah. and things where the computer accelerates. You could have it, you know, ease off if you're really under pressure or things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I was thinking, like, if you had a game like Silent Hill, where there's different types of scares, so you have some which are a bit more psychological, where a yeah. little baby ghost just walks out of a wall, and then you have <laughs> baby the... Baby ghost. <laughs> how, how tragic, and why do I find it funny? You know, as well as, like, the giant, viscerated monsters. Yeah. You could, say, measure the response to say, well, the guy turned out he was more freaked out by the small ghost than the giant monster, so let's have more of that in the game, if you know mm. what I mean. Like, so you could adjust what you're doing so it's not just a, a scripted series of encounters that you're going through it could adjust like it maybe a little bit to your liking to your preferences I like, I like that that's a, that's a really good idea so I meant like cool. if you if you had somebody say who was really freaked out by spiders what you could do is you know have more spiders because they knew they got freaked out by spiders because yeah. the hardware race things like that would be really really cool or just the types of encounters, you know. Some people aren't scared by the, the, you know, the the ghoulish beast bursting out of a closet, whereas a very slow build and eerie sound might be something that, you know, you know, it's this, it's the the the, the dread, the fear of, what's it, you know, dread. That's the right word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you're building up to it, that 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 might get them more. Well, another thing that you could do would be like, you could give people, I don't know less bullets in a box and things if they weren't feeling tense you know not make the game more difficult make them feel more tense so if you well, can say it, like if somebody ran low on ammo or low on health that they'd be you know, obviously you, you probably would become a bit more tense um, and similarly you could like probably that. you could probably measure when you went too much and you threw too much at them and you know they either responded i don't know you know if you could track if they responded negatively to it you could then lessen it and then bring it back we shouldn't be giving this information away for free you know we should be getting paid to come up with these great game ideas somebody's going to come and take this and put it in dead space 3 and then we'll just be there like oh thanks for nothing I (laughs) i think this is an example where ideas are cheap and to implement this will probably be a six year multi-million dollar investment but you know as i always say on the podcast if anybody wants to hire us to come up with these ideas on a full-time basis you're more than welcome uh, they can hire you, man. I've got my job. I'm happy. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see how long it is before you're turned. <laughs> well, we're, so we're looking at different ways that uh, games can respond. Now, traditionally, you've got the old trip wire, where once you advance upon a certain position in the game space, then the next thing will un- unfurl. Yeah, it would trigger, so trigger the next monster, the next cutscene, or whatever. Yeah, so like Call of Duty does this um, a lot, and Halo Reach, which I've only just started playing, there's a part where you kind of go, you come across this abandoned house, and you're looking around it, and the dialogue suggests that there's someone creeping around, but I never actually saw them. But I obviously walked to some staircase, which is too far ahead, and then every, you know, all hell broke loose, and everyone jumped out of their their hidey holes. How far have you gotten Halo Reach? About like five minutes after that point. Ah, okay. I barely, I barely played it yet. The, st- but, um, the start of it's not really indicative of the rest of the game. Most of it's most of it's not scripted. I mean, generally, you know, you get to a point obviously where monsters come out and things happens. But a lot of what I like about Halo is that it's a lot more freeform than Call of Duty. It's not just you know one caravan and two hundred guys rushing out of it until you advance to the next part of the caravan park. So going through this house, had they had in place this sort of heart rate monitoring or even if they had eye tracking they would have known for sure when I actually saw the beastie that was hidden around the corner and then they could have pulled the trigger rather than trying to guess like well by the time he's gotten to the stairs he's probably seen it it's like if he's walked if he's walked this far and hasn't noticed it he's obviously a dumb American redneck that doesn't care about the story so we better just chuck out some covenant for him to blow away or he's going to get bored <laughs> and if you remember in Portal 2 we said there's the moments where Wheatley is peeking around the corner yes. or in Half-Life Episode 2 yes. there's a part where the hunters are kind of uh, when you first introduced to them and they first attacked Alex that's one of those moments where the level is filtered and funneled in a way that you can really only be looking in a certain direction yeah. uh, but again if they had eye tracking 
they would be able to know for sure that you were looking at this area off the map or Ooh, this area of the screen. Oh, if they had eye tracking. Do you know what I've been eye tracked? Have you? Yeah, that we, well, after I graduated, this is, a, this is a sad story, after I graduated from university, I did not have a job and I applied to a lot of jobs. One of them got back to me. That's where I work. But I started doing psychology experiments for money and um, a lot of them were these eye tracking studies and um, one thing about eye tracking is that it needs to be precise it's not just you know you sitting in front of a camera you need to actually calibrate the cameras to your eyes and they frequently go out of sync Um, so eye tracking is a good idea but it's also probably quite impractical and it has to be within a specified lab environment I mean whenever I was being eye tracked there was a camera into each of my eyeballs and a giant helmet on top you know it's not like Kinect's right. going to have that kind of thing now eye tracking story too is that apparently they got this eye tracking camera and mounted it to a guy's head and um, they looked at er- they recorded him to see what he was looking at all day long and apparently oh, where no. his eyes went were very very funny was 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 there a female uh, scientist involved? You know, I don't know, but I think when he was not about, there were probably two things that sprung to mind on many occasions. <laughs> was that too subtle? Do you think? Do you think I should no, not think at all. It? Because like we've 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 not mentioned that at all. But that's completely where all of this technology will end up at some point. So you're is... saying like if you're playing dead or alive, it look at how how, how how often you're looking at the breasts, and we'll make them bigger or smaller accordingly. So if Measure. you just want to if you just want to get on with the game, it'll shrink the size of the character's breasts to normal proportions. <laughs> it'll measure blood flow and uh, things like that. Blood. <laughs> <laughs> Unable to get a heart rating. It seems you're losing blood. No, no, it's just being redistributed. <laughs> One company who've been measuring blood flow is the, our favourite company who we love to talk about. And One it's company Valve. that really gets our blood flowing is Valve. <laughs> and the reason they get our blood flowing is because they put out a lot of presentations and publications and articles, so it's easy to see what they're looking at. And they've been on this whole kick of biofeedback. And they've looked at heart rate, as we've said, and they've also looked at skin conductions and facial expression, the eye movement stuff. On the eye movement front, I'll put up a video into the the podcast as well of a scene from uh, There Will Be Blood, uh, which which shows a focus group uh, who were eye tracked or whose eye tracking was tracked, whose eye movements was tracked, and then whose placed onto the screen. <laughs> were tracked. There we go. Yes. Whose eye movements were tracked. That sounds better. And then overlaid onto the screen. It's just really interesting seeing you get a better idea of how to how people direct. You imagine it would feed back into directing a scene in a, in a, in a more polished way. But the two most interesting parts were uh, heart rate and the eye tracking. And if you think in terms of Left 4 Dead 2 and the AI director, one of their other presentations, it, it chronicles how they try and guess or measure how you, the survivor, are doing in this world of zombies and they take into account your health, how much ammo you've got left, where you're looking in the general direction of your character. Obviously, they can't tell whether you're looking in the foreground or the background yeah. or whether you're looking at the information on your screen. Um, but they take into all those things into account. How recent have you been? has it been since there's been a horde rush? And they try to get a sort of intensity measure and then that's when they, they decide whether or not to throw something at you or whether to let you be. Obviously, if you had all these independent measures going in, they would know for sure. And one of the little applications they had for the eye tracking was just for reading your partner's health. Okay. So instead of there being the health on the screen displaying for all your three companions, it would only be if you physically looked at Nick, would you be able to tell whether Nick was okay and needed Ooh, healed or not? That's interesting. That adds, quite a, that adds a whole new twist to it. Yeah, I think they looked at whether or not... Uh, they, they, well, they did the heart rate testing again, which just produced another graph that showed very clearly when the tank music hit... You know, everyone spiked uh, and everyone, everyone basically crapped again. <laughs> and everyone crapped themselves. So that and and in, in in a game where it naturally is trying to be dynamic, it's probably going to have more results than a game where it's more by the book. If you think like, like I don't want to say Call of Duty all the time, but it's the one that comes to mind, or even you know, it's just our it's just our slang term for mediocre, isn't it? Oh, not even mediocre, but it is it is. 
you can imagine having the game designer sit down and write down exactly what they want the players to do in what order so that they can have the optimal you know performance for how they've set up because that's how I always actually i feel like so many of these games are they're kind of like a theater production where yeah we're like the main actor we're like the main character but we're walking in off the street and the way they do it with the sets and all the other characters they position it so that we can only follow the script that they've got set yeah. like whereas if the games like Left 4 Dead and you know even like sports games actually they're able to have a little bit more improv and dynamic and adjust to what we do so if we you know well the reason the reason why games are the reason why modern games are made like that is because it's less work for them to do like if you're playing Call of Duty and you can say exactly where the player's going to go right you know where they're not going to go and therefore you don't need to make those bits of the game so something like Battlefield, Bad Company 2, whenever you're in the single player and you go the wrong direction and you step over the wrong bit of grass, it just says, you are leaving the battlefield, turn back. Whereas in something like GTA 4, you can't do that. You have to let them go wherever they can go. And that's uh, why but, you know, Vice City just had, if you fall into a pond, you died, because it meant they didn't have to code all that stuff. Whereas in GTA you, 4, because you can swim, then they have to take it out a bit further and have, like I don't know, sharks in the water. I mean, you say that, that's true, that they have to render more of the world, but even in Grand Theft Auto 4, they actually, in the whenever you're chasing someone in a vehicle, they pull you back into that very scripted sequence, and they don't they don't allow for that. I don't know if it'd necessarily be easier to do that. It, it seems to me more work, because you need to have someone who... T- to do all all the heavy scripting, I'm sure they're both horrifically difficult for. I think each it's of like the the, unpre- the unpredictability of not having the scripting means that you have a lot more bugs that could potentially occur, and you have a lot more scenarios that could happen. Yeah, that's it. You've got a lot more dead end uh, case scenarios that can come up. But um, but hey, you know, in terms of responding to the player, those kind of games lend themselves more to it because they're more flexible in their structure anyway. Yeah, well, something like GTA would be great, where if, you know, it's so your heart rate was fading during a chase, I could just have a helicopter or a SWAT van roll out of nowhere, you know? That kind of thing would be quite fun. My final um, kind of thought on the eye tracking was, um, I'd, I'd read that, or I'd been told by a friend that in L.A. Noir, there's certain parts where you're examining clues. So there's certain parts where you'll get a pink slip and you'll be looking at it on the screen and you'll realise that the name of the guy is actually the name of, you know, the, you know, the suspect's brother or whatever. And I, and I asked, like, well, how do you know, how does the game know that you've seen that bit of information? And the way it, it works, it's kind of like in the video game Lost, of, which if anyone else had the misfortune of playing. We where, both played it. It was rubbish. Where essentially you, you have the like the pink slip in your hand and you kind of move it up and down the screen. And it's once you get to this optimal position, then that yeah. triggers the aha moment. Or say there's a speck of blood on the end of a knife and then you look to, the, to that bloodied handle, it would then register like, oh, he's noticed the clue and it would then go on. Although I guess that was kind of like pixel hunting um, without a button input. Well, imagine imagine if you were playing Monkey Island um, and you just mounted yourself to like, I don't know, a wheelie chair and skimmed up and down the screen where the eye tracking did the work <laughs> and all the objects you needed were highlighted in gold. That would be a, I guess that is like uh, waving the mouse about for the 21st century because that's what the mouse is about, isn't it? It's the, the mark where your eyes are drawn to. It's like yeah. whenever you're using a photo editing program and you've got like a loop tool or if you're trying to you know, zoom in and text on the iPhone, it magnifies it because that's what your that's what your mouse pointer is doing. It's augmenting the role of the hand. Yes, yeah, it's, it's all about trying to figure out whether or not your audience is paying attention or not. Well, I guess one potential use for biofeedback would be for us to find out where it all went horribly wrong. Whenever the eye trackers failed as people's eyelids closed and they drifted off to sleep, whenever the heart rate slugged to a comatose <laughs> state, yeah. <laughs> when, when it was unsure whether our, our listeners were alive or dead. So on that note, uh, we'll, 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 we'll call an end to this, um, and we'll see you next time. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, spam it to your friends on Twitter and Facebook we like that too send us an email go to the website we won't bite Um, apart from that we'll see you soon thanks for listening bye bye okay yeah I think so my god I can't believe that like stopped so many times